yesterday we celebrated the anniversary of the inauguration of our first president to the United States of America, George Washington. He was inaugurated on the 30th day of April back in 1789. And as I was reflecting on that this week, I wanted to share with you just a few things that occurred that day so that as we look at our society today and especially in our government today, just uh, how far we might have come from that time. April 30th, 1789, the very first United States presidential inauguration occurred. Yeah, back in April, not in January as we do now. And it was held in New York City because that was the capital at that particular time. But the inauguration established some precedents and the role that religion held at that time that I thought how far we have moved away from that. The newspapers outlined that the first event of the inauguration day activities in New York City that on the morning of the 30th at 9 o'clock in the morning, the bells would begin to toll to call the people into the house of God. This was written in the New York paper. On the morning of the day on which our illustrious president will be invested with his office, the bells will ring at 9 o'clock when the people can go to the house of God and in a solemn manner commit the new government with its important train of consequences to the holy protection and blessing of the Most High. Sound like what you might read on the first page of the newspaper today. George Washington, John Adams, members of Congress, and other officials made their way to the Federal Hall where a large crowd awaited and Washington took his oath of office on the balcony of the Federal Hall. A witness recounted the feelings of the attendees at this historical occasion. It would seem extraordinary that the administration of an oath, a ceremony so very common and familiar, should in so great a degree excite the public curiosity, but the circumstances of his election, the impression of the past, the concourse of spectators, the devout fervency with which he repeated the oath, and the reverential manner in which he then bowed and kissed the sacred book. All these conspired to render it one of the most august and interesting spectacles ever exhibited on the globe. It seemed from the number of witnesses to be a solemn appeal to heaven and the earth at once. Next on Washington's inaugural address to both houses of Congress in the Senate chamber, and in this address he noted it would be peculiarly improper 
to omit the first official act of my fervent supplications to the almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of the nations, and whose providential aids can supply every human defect, that his benediction may consecrate to the liberties and happinesses of the people of the United States a government instituted by themselves for these essential purposes. After Washington's address, the officials attended church services at St. Paul's Chapel and adjourned for the day. 233 years ago, the inauguration of our first president with an emphasis and an understanding upon our Creator and His role and His place in the forming of our nations. Got an article on the weather app today that said one-third of all sea life could be gone in 300 years. Revelation chapter 8 verse 9 says, And one-third part of the creatures which are in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now don't put stock in their 300 years. Remember how bad they messed up creation. And it's dating. So we are current event savvy as it relates to the word of God and to prophecy. We've been looking at understanding current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Last week we looked at a number of of identifications that are given to us in the Word of God that identify then what we should be doing in light of what is going on in the world today. In our study, we observed that in order to understand what we ought to be doing, we need to understand our identification as God identifies us And that then will give us guideline as to what we ought to be doing. We understood in our study that we're identified as children of God. That's our relationship with Him. And not only in the family relationship, but we are also, as a result of our birth into His family, part of the kingdom of God. So our identification as children of God and our identification as citizens of the kingdom give some direction as to what we ought to be doing today. We saw then that we were identified as the light of the world. We saw what appears to be a conflict in Scripture. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he turned around and said to his followers, you are the light of the world. And then he explained it by saying, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. We are the light of the world only because he is living in us. And we reviewed the old kerosene lamp. Our duty is to reflect Christ 
his attitudes and his actions, his instruction in our life to reflect him to the world about us. We saw that we are identified as strangers and pilgrims, and those two terms work together in Scripture to identify the role of the sojourner. That we are foreigners, not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals to do our king's business. We saw that we are identified as ambassadors, stewards, servants, slaves, husbandmen, field workers. That described to us our role. We saw that we were identified then as branches of the true vine. That we were identified as a cultivated field. The word in the King James was husbandry, meaning a cultivated field. We saw that we are a building being fitly framed together. And that we are the temple of the living God today. And then we came to the final identification that we are identified as the body of Christ. So while children of God define our relationship and light of the world define our reflecting and strangers and pilgrims or sojourners define our purpose and ambassadors, stewards, servants, slaves, husbandmen and field workers identify our role, our function is going to be found in our identification as members of the body of Christ. So I ask the question, are you part of a hand or part of a leg or part of an eye or part of an ear or perhaps just a hangnail in the body of Christ? You have a role, you have a design, and... For us to know what we are supposed to be doing day by day as we live here and wait for the rapture to occur, we put way too much emphasis on waiting instead of serving. We are to be busy. We have an agenda that's been set forth here and uh, how we are to function as Christians, what we are to do from time to time, beginning with our salvation and resulting then in the rapture of the church or our own personal going home to be with him through physical death. These questions uh, can only be answered as we understand what God has revealed to us in his word. We have to understand that God has a plan. He has a unique design for each one of us as individuals. And that unique design was set forth before the foundation of the earth. God knew us. God had a plan for us. And he reveals that plan to us in time. From the moment we're born until we go to be with him, he has a plan for every day. God has a specific plan that fits into the lives and plans of others in what we see as the master plan of God. No no person exists by himself alone, to himself alone, but is part of that which God 
has designed for us. That design and that direction for our lives is revealed to us in our identification that we are children of God, citizens of the kingdom of God, that we are reflectors of the light of the world, which is Christ, that our purpose is to live life out here as a sojourner, as a foreigner not living in his own country, but living beside the locals to do the king's business. If we just focus on being foreigners here, we will be estranged. But if we recognize that as foreigners, we have a commission, we're ambassadors for Christ, we are identified then as stewards to manage his estate, we are identified as servants and as volunteer slaves that we are husbandmen and that we are laborers. That's not just a passive sitting back and waiting for the events to occur that will result in our being with him. We have a function. And that function is that we are to First of all, be a cultivated field. And in order to understand that, we went back and looked last week at the parable of the sower. That some seed fell in stony places, some fell among the thorns, but some fell in fertile soil. And we are the determining factor as to what kind of soil we are when the Word of God is presented to us as we read it throughout the week, as we listen to it, as it's taught, as we participate in knowing the Word of God in order that we might do the Word of God. We are a cultivated field, but we're also a building that's being fitly framed together, which identifies our association and our relationship with one another, we're not long rangers in this work that we've been given to do. So now we need to look at our function specifically. God's plan for the church age believer, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that has called upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation has been assigned a role to play a part of the body of Christ. The reference to our being members of the body of Christ illustrates then that each one of us have a particular function that we are to perform and a life that we are to live. The most mainstream churches present our relationship to God as kind of an add-on to give us support to get through life. Something to believe in, something to look forward to. Even in the strong evangelical churches, the primary focus is upon eternity and hanging in till we get there. I used to say to my students, I'd ask them, how are you doing? And the common answer back then was hanging in there. And my common reply was, turn loose. Let God hold. Quit hanging in there. Oh, thank you. 
How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. We do have a tendency to want to do that ourselves. But I soon will hit that 85 mark. And uh, I cannot recall ever sitting in a church service where the pastor taught on spiritual gifts. I never recall ever hearing a sermon on that from the pulpit. Now, I did sit in the service where the pastor said, I'm going to teach you today how to speak in tongues. And I have sat in a few services where they said, we're not going to worry, we're not going to uh, preach today. We're just going to worship and praise the Lord in tongues and and in miracles. We're going to perform some miracles. But never in all these years have I sat in a service where there was instruction and teaching on spiritual gifts. Now, in all fairness... I will acknowledge that I started preaching when I was 12 and and very regularly so that oftentimes it was every Sunday during the month I was filling the pulpit somewhere and that I was a pastor by the time I was 16 and so I haven't really sat in that many other services. But in talking with those who do and who have and in following the uh, what others have been teaching, we have certainly neglected this area. I think it's crucial that we understand how God works in our day in order for us to understand what we're supposed to be doing in our day. But God has a design for every life that He's created. And he has a plan and a design for every individual that's born again. From the youngest in our group, and Agnes is not here this morning, to the oldest, which yours truly, I guess, fits that bill, God has a unique plan and a unique design for every day. Wouldn't you like to have the book <laughs> that has yours in it? Well, you do have. It's called the Bible. I know it's rather general and not specific. That's why we have the Holy Spirit living in us. It's evident to me that the majority of believers of the church age live out the span of their life never knowing what their spiritual gift is, and therefore the majority of Christians live out their life not knowing what they ought to be doing. Attempting to live a good moral life, be baptized, join the church, be active in church, be under the exposure to the Word of God. But is it any wonder that there's so much frustration among Christians today as to what we ought to be doing and especially what our reaction ought to be 
concerning the events that we are encountering daily in our society now. Our function is defined by our spiritual gifting. Sounds simple. (laughs) If I simply know what my spiritual gift is, then I will know what I'm supposed to do day to day. But of course, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But at least that's the direction and the source from which we get our information. The purpose of our study in this series is so that we can narrow down our specific activity as to what we ought to be doing with all that's going on in society today and as it relates to the Word of God. So the focus of this series in understanding current events in light of Bible prophecy, and while curiosity probably is the number one uh, promoter of the investigation into Bible prophecy, it should be that we might understand what our role is, what God's design is, and how we can fit into that as we understand our gifting, our equipping. Most of you have been through a study of spiritual gifts with me. And because a more extensive study of spiritual gifts is available on our website, I'm not going to address all the details and aspects that we would normally address in a study of spiritual gifts, but I'm going to focus on our particular response and our unique design. I will note that there is a distinction between spiritual gifts that God gives to the believer and uh, the positions of leadership that he gives to the church. If you do an investigation into spiritual gifts by others, uh, you will uh, hear commonly that the role of evangelist and uh, apostle and pastor-teacher, that those are spiritual gifts. But as I study the Word of God, uh, I have to rule that out. They're not listed among the spiritual gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. They are positions to the church. It's gift of position to the church. And the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the pastor teacher all have to have specific spiritual gifts to function accurately. But those positions are not gifts of themselves. They are positions And yes, God gifted the church with those positions. But we'll find our gifting not among those four. We may find within those four our particular role, but the gifting is required to enable us to do that. So in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where it says, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, then those are to be seen as positions uh, given to the church to enable the church to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. 
What is a spiritual gift? Well, I believe we can define a spiritual gift as a unique ability that's given to the believer at the moment of salvation. And it's given as a means by which the believer can serve the Lord and designates that believer's position and role in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. Gifts are sovereignly bestowed by the Holy Spirit. There are a few passages in the New Testament where it appears that the apostles themselves had the ability to bestow spiritual gifts during the first century. But if a careful study is made of those passages, it becomes evident that the Holy Spirit is the one that bestows the gift. The apostles in those early days were the channels so that their authority might be recognized and followed as the Word of God was being developed and the canon of Scripture was being established. They say that spiritual gifts are given at the moment of salvation and they're given on the basis of grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says, dividing to every man severally, and that word is from adia in the Greek, it means separately, individually, as he will. Gifts are not made uh, based on our human merit or any preference, uh, but by the sovereign act of the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Godhead is involved, however, in the giving of spiritual gifts, the Father is the master planner and He determines how many of the gifts is to be given. The Son provides the basis for the gifts and the Holy Spirit is the one that bestows the gifts. The purpose of the gifts then is to equip the believer for the believer to do the work of ministry. All of the permanent gifts are necessary for the proper function of the body of Christ in a local congregation. The body of Christ called the church then is actually a team of believers that work together to carry out the instruction, the design, the purpose of Christ. It's not necessary for you to identify your spiritual gift in order to serve Christ. But it is important for you to make that identification so you can be a better steward of your gift. You can channel your time. You can channel your activities more specifically. Otherwise, we're going to try to fill every gap that's open that we may seem to be qualified or that someone asks us to fill and we might miss the role that we were supposed to serve in the body of Christ. 
each of the believers are given a gift and every believer or every gift is uh, bestowed upon the individual in the amount and to the degree and to the design that God purposes. He gives every believer exactly what he wants the believer to have in order for that believer to serve where he wants that believer to serve. So frequently we may not know enough about spiritual gifts in order to determine what ours is, but God works through circumstances. He knows that we're lazy by nature and want somebody else to do our thinking. And so there's many times He brings circumstances to bear that guides us in to where He wants us to serve. And we may come to the end of our life and and uh, get up to glory and say, Oh, I was functioning with that spiritual gift and didn't know it because God compensates for our ignorance and oftentimes our stubbornness to manipulate the circumstances to guide us where He wants us to be. Originally, there were three categories of spiritual gifts. There were sign gifts. There were two of them. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. There were some temporary, what I call credential gifts. They were miraculous gifts that served to validate the credentials of the apostles and their authority in the early church until the completion of the Bible in 95 AD. Paul indicates those, uh, those gifts were necessary so that we might understand doctrine, that we might understand prophecy, that he worked through the gift of knowledge to depart doctrine for the church age. He worked through the gift of prophecy to reveal his plan for the church age. And Paul indicates <clears throat> those gifts were, were vital and necessary until the word of God was completed. And then Paul indicates that when the word of God is complete, and that occurred in 95 AD, then those gifts would be abolished as the norm and standard. So, we do a disservice if we don't understand the distinction between the sign gifts and the temporary gifts and the permanent gifts because we may concentrate in an area thinking we have one of those temporary gifts and discover as we go throughout our life that we are acting independent of God. The permanent gifts are those that continue throughout the church age and it's among those that you will find your gift or gifts as God has bestowed them. There are nine specific gifts that are identified in Scripture. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 are the two chapters where these gifts are identified together. Now, the division in the chapters of the epistles uh, did not come with the original writing, but came much later. And uh, it it's kind of interesting to me that both chapters in the Bible that deal specifically uh, with the identification of the gifts are the 12th chapter of Romans and the 12th chapter of First 
Corinthians. Now, before we look at a list of the permanent gifts, <clears throat> I want us to look at the characteristics that are associated. Whenever I do a workshop or give out a worksheet, I always ask those that are participating in, in that to do the characteristics and the tendencies checklist before they go through to identify the gifts. For in doing that, <clears throat> if we wait till we've identified the gifts, we may have a preconceived idea as to what our gifts are and uh, uh, judge ourselves in characteristics and in tendencies as it relates to that. The characteristics and the tendencies ought to identify our gift rather than our gift identifying the characteristics and the tendencies. So as I go down through this list, Reflect in your own mind where you rank in each of these areas. You have a characteristic as a self-starter. An ability to understand needs related to organization. An ability to assume leadership. An ability to delegate responsibility. An ability to research. An ability to present truth in a systematic sequence. An ability to communicate effectively. An ability to detect practical needs of others. An ability to serve in practical ways to provide for others. An ability to motivate. An ability to encourage. An ability to inspire. An ability to follow leadership. An ability to perform skills necessary to the church, an ability to perform skills necessary to parachurch. Parachurch, the word para is beside. We're talking about other organizations that are not a church themselves, but Christian organizations. Uh, there are many of those. Spheres of Grace has been one of those. An ability to comprehend what is read. An ability to separate various doctrinal truths as it's revealed in the Word. Separate them and identify them. An alertness to factual detail. An ability to class, uh, uh, excuse me, an ability to understand a person's circumstance or situation. An ability to understand the Bible as it applies to a person. An ability to communicate applicational principles clearly. An ability to see joy or distress in others. An ability to console or comfort. An ability to acquire assets. An ability to multiply material assets. And an ability to understand financial needs. What I would suggest you do is take a highlighter and go down through that list this week of abilities that are associated with specific spiritual gifts and and highlight them. Now you may have to do it five or six times because you may have them all highlighted or may find you didn't highlight any of them. You've got some of these. They were designated for you for your performance with your spiritual gift. And so I would suggest you familiarize yourself with the characteristics. Now, along with characteristics and what seems to be natural abilities, there are 
some tendencies. A tendency to be aggressive. A tendency to lead out if there's no designated leader. A tendency to go into detail when asked simple questions. A tendency to be alert. You know some people like that. A tendency to be alert to the needs of others. A tendency to take responsibility for helping others. A tendency to speak out strongly on beliefs. A tendency to share ideas. A tendency to avoid anything that doesn't seem practical. A tendency to push people to their potential. A tendency to accept only simple sideline responsibilities. A tendency to follow rather than lead. I don't think leading from behind works very well either. A tendency to assist, to assist others who are serving. A tendency to take a clinical approach to Bible study. And I constantly have to go, what do you mean a clinical? I mean, what you'd experience in, in a clinic just to be factual and, and uh, dogmatic uh, routine uh, in studying the Bible. A tendency to identify categories of doctrine when you read the Bible. A tendency to avoid non-biblical illustrations. A tendency to react sharply to error. And you see immediate responses. A tendency to prove or test all teachings. A tendency to emphasize the importance and accuracy of words. A tendency to look for application as the Bible is taught or read. A tendency to identify certain people you know as Bible passages or read. Oh, yeah, that fits them. A tendency to think of certain Bible passages then as uh, uh, you see a person's circumstance or situation. A tendency to relate the word to everything that you experience. A tendency to have compassion on others. A tendency to experience the emotions others are experiencing. A tendency to offer comfort and consolation. A tendency to look for the material needs in a situation. A tendency to assume responsibility for financial assistance to others. I won't ask for your names on that road. A tendency to have confidence in meeting financial needs. So go through the characteristics and the tendencies checklist, maybe with a highlighter. Read them two or three times before you start marking and uh, and it'll be interesting to see what is presented as you come up. Nine spiritual gifts that are operative throughout the church age. They're not listed in any manner of order except the manner that I happen to record them in. Uh, remember that each gift has the same importance as all other gifts because we are part of the body of Christ. Gift of administration. 
This is a unique ability to assume leadership effectively and the ability to function in administrative capacities to provide leadership and direction for various ministries of the church. A biblical title that's associated with this is the, uh, in the local church is the word elder as it is identified. The gift of teaching. Unique ability. Notice each one of these is unique ability. The unique ability to understand and communicate biblical content. It includes both the ability to learn and to teach the principles, the promises, the doctrines, the techniques that are found in the Bible. It can also include to teach skills that are related to the work of the church. The gift of service is the unique ability to serve those in the body through the care of their material needs. This gift provides an awareness of needs and an ability to minister to those needs. And although several in the congregation might have this gift, there is an office in the structured church, the office of the deacon. The word ministry is translated from the word diakonos, which means ministry, but brought into the English, it is the word deacon. doesn't mean you have to be a deacon. That's simply the office that administers this assistance uh, in a structured environment in the church. But many of the believers have this gift of ministering to others related to material needs. The gift of exhortation is a unique ability to spur people on to decision and action. This gift provides for motivation and encouragement to others. It's the ability to call others to where you are, to call them to that position. The gift of helps is a unique ability to assist others who are involved in ministry. It's a support gift that manifests itself in the, along the sidelines in providing uh, uh, assistance even behind the scenes to those that are in more prominent places of leadership. It's the most prolific gift within the body of Christ. The gift of the word of knowledge. Notice it's not the gift of knowledge, it's the word of knowledge. The gift of knowledge cease upon the completion of the word of God this is knowledge based on the Word. It's the unique ability to put Bible content into categories of Bible doctrine, to be able to read a passage and sense the subject matter and be able to organize it into some categorical order for teaching. It's not to be confused, as I said, with the gift of knowledge, which was to receive direct doctrine from God in the establishment then of the church and the completion of the canon of Scripture. It's the word of knowledge, knowledge based on the word. The seventh is the gift of the word of wisdom. And again, this is not wisdom. Any believer can have wisdom by asking for it according to the epistle of James. If you lack wisdom, ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given to him. The word wisdom is the ability to understand how to apply fact to circumstance, doctrine to experience. 
It's the ability to understand how to do that. It's not the automatic doing of that. It's the ability to understand how to do that. Solomon had that gift. But he made a mess of his own life because he didn't apply it. He could pass the counsel on to others. Yeah, I suppose you probably know some that way too. They could pass the counsel on to others, but don't make the application themselves. So it's the ability to understand how to apply knowledge to experience, how to apply the things that are found in the Word of God to a person's circumstance. The gift of mercy is a unique ability to have compassion on others in need. A unique sensitivity, if you will, to the needs of others with an ability to provide for them a sense of comfort. The gift of giving. Unique ability to acquire money and direct it into the Lord's work. We all have a priestly role and responsibility of giving. It's not to be confused with this gift. This is a unique ability to do that and to channel that then into the Lord's work or the Lord's service. Go over the characteristics, go over the tendencies, and then go down through those nine gifts and see what you discover in your own life. Spiritual gifts then provide the function of the body of Christ. I want to read with your tolerance chapter 12 in Romans and then chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians just for us to get that setting. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed, that word conformed, suske matids as they, says stop participating in changing your outward appearance to disguise what you really are on the inside. Be not conformed. Stop disguising what you really are. And then he says, being conformed to this world. Stop doing that. But be ye transformed. That word transformed is metamorphosis. Day. It means to allow what's on the inside of you to be seen on the outside. You're a child of God. You've been born a spiritual being as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, a sojourner, not living alone among your own folks, but living alongside the locals. Stop disguising that and allow what you really are. A child of God, a gifted, born-again member of the body of Christ, allow that to be evidenced to others that are about you. How do you do that? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace that is given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For 
as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth, on teaching. Or he that exhorteth, on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, with diligence. He that showeth mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. Not slowful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul wrote then to the Corinthians, more specifically concerning spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away with those dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. For there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another by, of the same kind the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another of a different kind, uh, faith by the same spirit. To another of this same kind, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another of this same kind, the working of miracles. To another of this same kind, prophecy. To another of this same kind, discerning of spirits. To another of a different kind, various kinds of tongues. To another of this same kind, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man individually as he will. For the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, or one body, so also is Christ. 
For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the head, the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon them we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities are come. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But you are coveting earnestly the showy gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, what we call the love chapter, which is actually the Holy Spirit control chapter. So spiritual gifts enable us as believers in this church age to live out our designed ministry and connect us with others to form the body of Christ here on the earth. The local church is often a manifestation of the body of life, but there's only one body, and that's Christ, and it's composed of every born-again child of God as we form the universal church. The local church is designed to provide an environment and a structure for the equipping of the saints so the saints can do the work of ministry. And the local church can provide a coordinated structure through which those spiritual gifts can operate and work more effectively. Remember then that as members of the body of Christ, we are his representative here on the earth during this church age. And we are foreigners. Not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals to do the business of the king. The business he has assigned you will be revealed in your identification of your spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts 
are not just a Sunday exercise. They're a way of life. So next week, we'll begin to explore the appropriate function of your gifts based on your characteristics and your tendencies so that as you live out your design, no matter what the local congregation affiliation might be, you live out the design and the plan that God has for you. But of course, as always, I must say, it begins at salvation. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, in that moment of calling, you become a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom of God. And the identifications that we studied last week and the responsibility of being a reflector of Christ all come to bear. And in order for you to be able to do that, you're given unique ability to live out your part in the plan of God. And the spiritual gifts are not all given equally. A lot of believers have the gift of teaching. But it manifests itself in different ways and they have different aspects, different degrees of that. And of course, no matter what our spiritual gift is, the better we know the Word of God, the more time we spend in it, the more time we log, log under the control of the Holy Spirit, the more effective as God opens up opportunities for us. Whatever God's design for you is, He has provided the gifting, He will provide the resources and the opportunity. And we need to learn that to recognize that and to live that out.